on one hand, Volley is just a genius pairing. Like it's not, if, if you're looking for a shoe brand that is the equivalent of VB, um, <laughs> it, 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 it is kind of Volley. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Brews News. And of this specifically, which is Brews News Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and it is a pleasure to be joined by Matt Kierkegaard, the uh, co um, what is he? Founder. <laughs> Founder, founder. founder and editor. Mate, everyone's a founder. When you look at LinkedIn, everyone's a founder these days. Everyone's yeah, a founder. I'm, I'm, you should be motivational speaker as well. I, I'm motiv- international motivational speaker <laughs> and entrepreneur. entrepreneur. <laughs> founder, founder of a spot in isolation and his car keys, um, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. G'day, Pete. How are you? Uh, very well. Thank you for asking. And Claire, the boom in the room, Burnett. G'day, Claire. Hey, Pete. Sorry, senior journalist. And oh, thank you. Future editor and user. <laughs> well, when, 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 journal- <laughs> when you've only got one journalist, um, you yeah, can call them whatever they it's like. Easy, it's easy to be senior. <laughs> well, it's just you. I got I got in a bit of trouble for calling her a pup reporter last week, a cub reporter. So you know, I, I thought well, yeah, I'll, I'm getting a bit old I'll, for I'll that. Up her game really. a little bit. <laughs> How's your week been? Are you are you out of ISO, Matt? I am uh, as of midnight Sunday night. So yes, it was a. Um, and actually, thank you to the people who. Uh, um, the listeners who message and you know, like Send I share packages. I, I just like I, I explained why you know it was very low risk, but then also you know you've got to do the right thing. And had a lot of people going, "Oh, good on you for doing the right thing." I'm sort of going, "Well, isn't that just what you do?" Like it wasn't, yeah. So it wasn't. But so thank you to the people that uh, expressed concern for my uh, isolation and uh, thank me for uh, my willingness to do it. And you, the when, when yeah, except you said your life didn't change that much. <laughs> well, funnily enough, well, no, no, like I'm, I'm quite happy to uh, to stay at home. Now I don't go times. out, but I'm not allowed to. But last <laughs> week, yeah, not by choice. <laughs> but last week I was meant to be uh, down at um, yeah, Sea Legs doing the indie, and then I was also meant to be. Or I had paid to go do something over the weekend that I had to forfeit um, and, uh, and and not do. So uh, yeah, so last weekend I did actually have things that would have taken me out of the home. Now, when the South Australian Premier popped his head out of the bunker and said. Uh, looks like we might have pressed the oops button. Did that <laughs> automatically cancel no, your no, ISO or you no, still no. had to yep. just in case? Yeah, yep. just in case. That's just always case. good. Yeah, yeah it's, why it's all, not? Look, it, it, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, um, when you look at uh, what you've got triple goose eggs down in Victoria now, Queensland is opening its borders to you uh, as of the first and we'll be going to be embracing you uh, not with elbow bumps but with open arms, Pete. So it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it shows that there is something good that comes out of the, 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 the hard times that we've had to endure. Does that uh, just preempting what we're going to talk about later and uh, teasing it out for our loyal listeners who are looking forward to a little bit of Christmas cheer um, mm. and that small amount of it that we can provide, does it mean that there's a possibility that we can perhaps do uh, like a proper live? Um, so it's just using one channel for like if I can get up there, yeah. We can have our Christmas party kind of thing um, with all of us in the same room and then have some channels free for maybe guests to call in or to Absolutely. speak to some and of our I can't listeners remember who in the Facebook was, group. Is it in the Facebook group somebody raised and oh, we're doing this all about um, – will we, will we do that at the end? Talk. It was um, from last week. Yeah, from last week. Comment from last week. How about we do the news and then uh, talk about those arrangements because, yes, um, so listen to the end and we'll uh, – 
talk about the arrangements we're thinking of for our Christmas party <laughs> listeners. Let's do that. And let's start with breaking news, Matt. And breaking as in nobody knows this except uh, the people who do. But, um, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not official, uh, but... It's funny to be talking about something on the podcast before we publish it, but by yeah. the time this it's goes out, out, it yeah, will have yeah. been published. Oh, so, yeah. it will so have been published by then? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm so excited about this one. Um, yeah, stop, look, stop listening right now. Get over and listen and, and read the story. I'm sure they have. Um, but yeah, Lion targets big stone and wood with tap contracts. Uh, in addition to excluding its major competitors uh, from access to beer taps, Lion Australia has targeted stone and wood for exclusion under its supply contracts. In a trading agreement seen by Brews News, Kieran-owned Lion Beer, Spirits and Wine PTYLTD has entered into a supply arrangement with Melbourne metro- with a Melbourne metropolitan venue that specifically excludes the Byron Bay based brewery from, on con- from uncontracted taps. Amongst its terms, the the multi-year agreement commits the venue to commit 75% of taps to Lion, excluding CUB, Asahi, Coopers, CCA and Stone & Wood from from uncontracted taps. For the avoidance of doubt, you may pour any other competitors' brands on the remaining taps, subject to our exclusivities and tap share percentages above the agreement states. So, you know, for listeners who have um, been listening, you'll know that we're fairly... You know, sanguine about the vexed issue of contracts. Um, you know, I think we talked about it last week. You know, a contract that says we'll work with you as opposed to just working with you is one thing. And that's why this is such a significant thing. It's, you know, we've been hearing for a while that um, the, 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 and I have to say that it's not just lying, I understand. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, like CUB are apparently uh, doing the same thing, but it's, you know, targeting um, Stone and Wood specifically. And it, it, it's inter- the, even more interesting than that is we asked some questions to Lion when we saw the, um, the agreement that incidentally was sent to us by one of our listeners. Um, so thank you, uh, you know, uh, listeners who keep an eye out for these sorts of things. Um, but you know, seeking response from Stone and Wood, I, you know, I specifically asked them, you know, do you have any competition concerns for specifically targeting a small brewer? And the response back from Lion um, said, you know, it, it didn't deny the contract. It didn't deny that there was a term um, including Stone and Wood, um, but it said that we don't target small brewers, which by implication mm-hmm. um, is saying that. Stone and Wood is big. isn't a small brewer, yeah. um, which I find fascinating because just to look at some of the comparisons, so last year, Lion, which reports through its parent company, Kirin, uh, in Japan, um, reported revenues of $4.4 billion. Do you want to say that as Dr. Evil, Pete? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's evil uh, enough on its own. <laughs> so uh, revenues of $4.4 billion for the 2019 financial year with an operating profit of $607 million. By contrast, Stone & Wood, which recently reported its annual revenues for the uh, financial year, and they don't, because it's a Japanese financial year versus Australian one, the months don't exactly line up, but you know, for the last full year reporting period. Um, Stone & Wood, uh, or the Fermentum Group, of which Stone & Wood is part, uh, reported revenues of $62.3 million with an after-tax profit of $5.1 million. Um, so you're looking at you know, $4.4 billion versus $62 million in terms of the scale. And yeah. uh, if, if you just need a little bit more, um, you know, because billion is quite a big number um, and it can be a little bit hard to sort of think, well, 
42 million sounds like a lot of money and 4.4 billion has a four in front of it so it sort of sounds the same um last year uh lions little world beverages purchased um new belgium as everyone will remember and they spent between 475 and 544 million dollars australia uh, australian for that um so bought a you know the fourth largest craft brewery in uh, the the u.s New Belgium in 2016 brewed 112 million litres of beer. Um, Stone and Wood is somewhere around the 13 to 14 million litre mark. So you, <laughs> when you're looking, talking about Stone and Wood, uh, you know, Lion trying to paint this as a fair competition, mm-hmm. not so much. Yeah. We are now at the point where we will tell you what you can pour on the taps that you are paying us to contract to. Yeah. But we're also going to tell you what you can't have on the three that we have nothing to do with. Yeah. And that's where it's exactly. really, really interesting because... Like, but like to specifically name... Yeah. Like you say, okay. And like, well, the other ones are massive players, so you think, mm, maybe fair enough. But then Stone and Wood, that must mean that they think it's a Stone and Wood is a major threat to them. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and, and and that's the thing. Like it's it, it's both running up the surrender flag and going. You know, um, it, it it's been a long time since I've really teed off um, about it. And as you know, I've I've spoken about t- contracts and you know that we're a little bit, but this is just you know going too far. And then to try and spin it that it's. A it's, big a big brewery, it's a so big brewery. It's the same as. It's brazen, yeah. Matt. It's brazen, is what it is. <laughs> I mean, I was absolutely shocked and full. My jaw did drop a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a shocker. In the week that we made a joke on the Facebook mm-hmm. group about saying, "Well, what is a small brewery?" Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we've actually well, now we know. Here we go. This is the answer. We now have this a legal definition answer. according to Lion. <laughs> but you know, like Pete, because Lion wants to say, oh, Stone and Wood, you know, there's daylight between Stone and Wood and all of the other small breweries. And there absolutely is. But if there's daylight between uh, Stone and Wood and the smaller, you know, the other small independently owned breweries, there is an absolute galaxy between Stone and Wood and Lion. You know, Lion proudly says it's Australia's largest brewery. Um, And, you know, when the Australian Competition and Consumer Bodies have says it, look, tap contracts, and just reading from... Um, when they finally, you know, after four years of investigation, came up with their tepid little uh, statement, although some venues had exclusivity <laughs> arrangements. This is not my flog voice, by the way, Pete. Um, <laughs> most most pubs and clubs said they do not feel constrained from allocating taps to smaller brewers and could make taps available for craft beer if necessary. And hello um, and all our friends at the ACCC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like we're, you know, um, we're allowed to give them a ribbon every now and then. Uh, and then they sort of said... Um, Oh, no, and the voice fits. That's Absolutely uh, yeah. agreed. Tell, tell me, where does, uh, say, uh, I'm just going through my head and I'm saying, okay, the next lot down, let's let's put in a, in a, in a bit of a bunch, um, you know, Gage Roads, Brick Well, Gage Lane, Roads would be about Walkers. the same size yeah, in terms of volume, similar. but they have a Young lot Henry's. of... They do a bit. So uh, specifically, no, well, how, how far off do you reckon they are of, of, say, you know, 11 to 12? Oh, look, well, okay. Are well, under uh, the 10 million... Leaders? Um, well, Gage would be somewhere. Uh, in fact, Gage might even have slightly higher volumes these days, but a significant percentage of that is not its own brands. Yeah, contract. Um, so, so they're around about the same size, also publicly listed. Um, so, you know, whilst they're independent in terms of not being controlled by a major brewery, you know, 
they're, they're, they're not independently owned um, for, for another um, definition. But then, you know, the, the next biggest brewers were the, the Pirate Lifes and the Bolters, which were, I think, two to three million litres when they were taken over. Um, I think uh, Four Pines was uh, five to six million litres when it was purchased. And, you know, so, you know, any of the independent craft brewers, I can't think of too many uh, independents that would be in the two to three million um, volume range. Uh, so there is, you know, like th- there's a clear um, break between Stone and Wood and its indie, um, for want of a better word, com- um, you know, colleagues or competitors, however you want to look, look at it. Um, and to me, like, it, it's just fascinating that, you know, the, the, the process is you buy the most successful ones, um, as we've seen with Four Pines, Pirate Life, um, Bolter, okay. and then the ones that won't sell. And Stone and Wood has very clearly shown that it won't sell. Um, you try and put out a business or you try and curb growth. And to me, the ACCC, um, in the wording of its um, uh, findings, basically said that the big brewers don't target small brewers. Um, and you know, talking of loopholes, this seems to be the loophole that Lion wants to wants to use. Um, that well, if we designate that Stone and Wood isn't a small competitor, then we can't be accused of being anti-competitive towards a small competitor. Mm-hmm. But in in the, in the competitive marketplace, Stone and Wood are engaging in uh, you know, and Lion also want to say, look, you know, Stone and Wood does contracts or does commercial arrangements as well. They absolutely do, and you know, so do a, lot, so a do few s- others. But their commercial arrangements yeah. are being, you know, sort of, you know, <laughs> maybe giving good pricing or yeah, you know, yeah. things that we're, we're going to offer you a, a, a deal that we think is going to be very beneficial for both our parties. For both Not our parties, that it's going to specifically be. Um, detrimental to a third party. Yeah, Lion, but they're not able to sort of say, we will pay you to keep Lion off tap because that <laughs> well, is, they, they, they couldn't afford to. But <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is the competition. Exactly. And, that's, um, and they haven't got that kind of clout to be able to say that, whereas Lion obviously does. And that to me is the, is the nub of the issue around competition. The ACCC, had, yeah, and it, to some extent they're, they're um, tied by law, but, you know, Competition is, you know, like when a multinational business, many times, of, you know, many orders of magnitude larger than another, and it chooses not to use its vast scale to compete on the advantages that come with that size, um, but uses its size to exclude an emerging con- competitor, that's got to be anti-competitive. You know, like we always hear from the Brewers Association, we always hear from Lion and CUB, you know, we make better beer, you know, we've got quality, um, you know, and it's got... The efficiency of production. You know, the, the um, Brewers Association loves to say no one wants to pay twelve dollars for a schooner of beer, and you know, craft brewers are inefficient. You know, well, there is your competitive advantage. You're big. You can sell your beer cheaper. You can, you know, you've, you've got a better logistics chain. You've got technical expertise. You've got market research com- um, uh, capabilities. And if Lions should be able to outcompete Stone and Wood or any other smaller brewery on price, distribution, quality, and innovation, not by paying to exclude them from the marketplace without having to go down that route, after. without having to go yeah. that route, because that's you know those are the things that Stone and Wood is mm-hmm. um, competing on. You know, innovation, um, quality, all of those sorts of things, and it's just not a fair like it's it it it, it it's bringing an AK forty seven to a uh, butter knife fight. <laughs> Exactly. And I think what they're doing is they're clearly trying to protect themselves in the long run, which obviously says good things about Stone and Wood. But 
totally stunts their growth and how can that be considered competitive that well, just can't be and how can the ACCC say on the one hand you know when they when they looked at the competitive um, landscape with the CUB uh, Asahi merger they said you know at three and a half percent Asahi provides a significant constraint on the big brewers mm-hmm. which it did but then all of the other small brewers aren't big enough you know that sure they provide a bit of variety um for the consumer but they don't provide competition so even the ACCC says that stone and wood doesn't provide competition um again you know by implication says stone and wood doesn't provide competition um for the big guys because it's so small um but then they should be you know not accepting this restraint of trade on uh, stone and wood because that's effectively stopping what is obviously a powerful um, competitor from emerging and, and, and providing the, exactly the competition that the ACCC is meant to be, uh, you know, exactly. protecting. So yeah. anyway, let us know what you think, listeners, but uh, yeah, expect more to come uh, on this one. Mm-hmm. Pete, I'll just sort of jump in and take the next one uh, as we move on. Last week we had uh, our New Zealand correspondent, uh, you know, pick up the, the, his end of the can and a very long string to report on New Zealand and had a great um, response from you know a lot of people uh, both in the chat room and uh, emails and also people are commenting on it so we have a uh, we, we, we do have some more um, interesting New Zealand news so uh, it, it's probably a good time to uh, introduce Michael Donaldson uh, and welcome him back to the show Michael. G'day Matt how are you? <laughs> very well how are you? Excellent thanks just uh, learned in Auckland that uh, we're going to be able to water our gardens again this summer, so um, that's great. We've, been, we've had a drought here for a long time. Oh, I, I thought that was a COVID yeah. bit of COVID-related news. I was going <laughs> to say, wow, that's really locked down. I thought it was a euphemism. No, no, no. <laughs> well, despite what Fox News and others might try and tell you. But, um, yeah, no, it's all good. So sitting here in some Auckland rain, it's lovely. Oh, terrific, terrific. Well, uh, mate, thank you for joining us uh, last week. Now, tell us, uh, big news this week with uh, New Zealand's Behemoth Brewery, uh, both launching uh, its equity crowdfund and uh, tearing it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for you guys knowing us, sure, over there. Um, but yeah, Behemoth, uh, only 18 months ago, they did their first crowdfunding raise, and they got $2 million from that, from about 600 shareholders. And they always wanted to go back for more. Um, and like many breweries, they, they discovered very quickly the brewery that they uh, had ordered from uh, the US wasn't as big as they needed. Um, <laughs> so they needed uh, more tanks, more space. So they, they took a lease out on an adjoining building um, to create a separate packaging hall, increase the size of the brewery. But also they, you know, you could call it empire building, I guess. Um, they went back to the well with a proposal that was around opening up more uh, behemoth outlets around the country. And uh, we're calling them filleries here, um, where you could, you know, um, just pop down and, and get a flagon or a growler filled. And uh, so not a tap room as such, but just, a, a I guess, a, a takeaway uh, outlet. And in Auckland, they're going to open sort of suburban... Uh, outlets where they're going to serve food from their central restaurant um, and along with beer and in uh, sort of more suburban settings away from where they are on the city fringe. So but they've got all these plans, you know, and they want to open a barrel room and it's very expansive thinking and, um, as I say, you could call it empire building. 
Um, so they went back and they said, look, we're going to we're going to raise another 1.8 million, and we're giving our current shareholders the first dibs on those shares. And the, the, the shareholders are obviously fairly happy because it hasn't gone yes. public yet, and yet the existing shareholders have uh, jumped all over it. Yeah, this is, this is the point, um, really, that's quite interesting from, I guess, investing in, in anything's a little bit of a risk. Um, but the, the company got revalued, first of all. And so the shareholders who are going back in uh, are buying at the new valuation, which means the shares that they bought for a dollar the first time to get the equivalent, they're now paying a dollar thirty-two. So in theory, the, the breweries grow in thirty. Um, I guess in the 18 months since the initial crowdfunding and yet that hasn't deterred anybody um, they're, they're more than halfway to their 1.8 million goal uh, I think we're into the third day now of it being open just to the to the current investors so it could be that they raise all the money they need without needing to go public again which which would be phenomenal really um, in some ways that is that interest um, from people who, who already have skin in the game? It, I, I guess it's a real vote of confidence because we have seen, uh, you know, we've looked at some of the uh, English examples um, where shortly after equity crowdfunding um, businesses you know, essentially went out of business. And we've also seen uh, a mixed uh, re- response to some of the, the ones here. Some have done very well um, and others mm. very shortly after raising money have uh, seen their own um, fortunes go backwards. So uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other breweries that have equity crowdfunding. I know Yeasty Boys did and they went very, very – they raised a lot of money. Yep. But then they pretty much moved overseas. Yeah. So in New Zealand, there's four in the brewery stakes. Um, there's also a cider maker called Zephyr that did some crowdfunding and a couple of other wineries and distilleries. But in the beer scene, Yeasty Boys were the first. And, you know, looking back on it, they uh, they only went for $500,000 the first time around. It took them only half an hour or so to raise that money. Um, it probably wasn't enough. They went back again for a second time. Uh, Renaissance raised. Seven hundred dollars, and that was uh, an unmitigated disaster. Seven hundred thousand. No, in terms of uh, the brewery went broke um, a few years later. Um, those shareholders got nothing um, for their investment, and you know a lot of them were when the brand got bought out after it, it um, went into um, receivership. You know there was a lot of disgruntled shareholders. Um, Parrot Dog had two dips um, raising. I think $2 million the first time, and I think around $2 million the second time, I can't quite recall. And that was, again, about expansion and um, just going for that, that high-volume uh, market. And they, they've got them now. They're, they're, they look to be very successful in that regard. But I think the, one of the things with, with Behemoth is they have a massive kind of really loyal fan base here, Um they have great engagement with their shareholders. They have a specific shareholders Facebook page. There's lots of activity on there. They're constantly talking to their people. Um, and their people, you know, uh, if you're into Behemoth and you're into them in a big way, I think, you know, that this, it's reflected in this um, second round of uh, capital raising that, that yeah. people are falling over themselves to get That's on board it. again. So. Yeah. That's it. And I think that's really interesting, Michael, the, the transparency um, 
that these guys are showing in comparison to the ones that we've seen that haven't done so well, it's kind of easy to tell, obviously, in in retrospect, if, um, you know, they aren't going to do that well. They keep quiet. They don't really talk to any of their investors, their shareholders. They just keep it under wraps and hope hope nobody questions them later on. (laughs) Whereas if they keep that dialogue going, I think, even if something did, God forbid, not that it's going to, but if something did go wrong with Behemoth, then it would they t- they tell that to their shareholders and it would be much more of an open dialogue rather than, oh yeah, we don't want you to know about this so we're not going to tell you. You're going to have to find out on your own from Matt Kierkegaard yeah. six months later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that, that assessment. Um, to me, it, it, looking at it from distance, it does feel like a lowish risk investment at this point. Um, they're in control of their own destiny um, in terms of you know, what they're doing, it's going to need a sudden wave of people saying, we don't like these beers anymore. Um, and that would mean the end of Hazy IPA in general. Um, <laughs> so I can't see that happening because they are, you know, they, they churn out these hazies. And as long as the market stays stays keen on those, they're going to do well. But, um, you know, they, they were popular before the hazies came along as well. So, That's you know, it's not a, they're not a one-trick pony in that regard. That's it. And the thing that I've sort of learnt from doing so many of these now is that I think I spoke to um, a crowdfunding expert in the UK and he was like, look, you crowdfund as a brewery if you want it, if it's something that's on your would be nice to have list um, rather than, you know, like maybe a second venue or something like that, rather than you need that money. If you need that money, you shouldn't be crowdfunding. (laughs) No, no, that's right. Although it's funny, um, as a a young fellow, um, I can remember my father giving me rudimentary lessons in the share market. Not that he, you know, he was an Air Force pilot. He knew nothing about stocks and shares, but I think he liked to, to dabble and at least follow. And uh, mm-hmm. he, I can still clearly recall this about a 10 or 12-year-old. He said, invest in beer, son. People always want beer. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you know, you're right in that um, it is, it's a kind of a fun exercise for people that are dedicated or a loyal follower of a brewery. But, you know, I think we've seen the growth continues and I'm always surprised at how much growth there is. And part of this revaluation of Behemoth, um, I was remiss to say, you know, this, this is based on a huge increase in their revenue uh, this financial year, despite COVID and all the problems that have come with that and not being able to trade in the hospitality sector for a long time. But, you know, I think Andrew was telling me the other day that the data he's seen is that craft in general was up around 20% this year in New Zealand, which is over and above the normal 12 to 13% annual growth they've been seeing. So uh, COVID's been been a real benefit, uh, been beneficial to a lot of breweries in New Zealand with all the um, at-home drinking. Terrific. Well, Michael, thank you very much. Uh, firstly, thank you for all of your uh, regular updates from New Zealand, and uh, it, it, it's great to have you on the uh, on the podcast. Hopefully, we can do this as a regular, uh, if, if not weekly, then certainly very regularly. Yeah, yeah. Look, love to, love to. I'm always happy to chat. Thanks for your, nice thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. Cool. Talk to you soon. Bye, Michael. Okay. See ya. Bye. See you, Michael.
Well, there we go. We're breaking news live, and then we, you know, get a, a live correspondence uh, during like the a real news channel. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us all growing up. We, we might have to get Speaking. rid of the polka theme and get one of those dramatic news, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Some, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Pete can do it. He's great at that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, this I love it. This is Brews News Week. I'm your oh. host, Pete Mitchum. Oh, beautiful. And yeah. a little British accent. We could do that. Yeah, like that. Well, speaking of it, yeah. Well, that, that was kind of my um, my 1960s... Um, <laughs> uh, Movie tone news. You know, cine tone yeah. um, <laughs> voiceover guy. That's amazing. Which leads nicely into Victoria Bitter partners with sneaker <laughs> brand Volley. <laughs> Volleys are all the rage. All the young ones are wearing them now. Um, <laughs> two of Australia's oldest and most iconic brands, Victoria Bitter and Volley have come together to create a special edition sneaker emblazoned with the VB logo and a slogan for a hard-earned thirst. Uh, the idea for the sneakers originated as an April Fool's joke on social media when Volley announced the ultimate shoey. Uh, when the hoax went viral, VB and Volley were blown away with the response and wanted to bring the sneaker to life. Just FYI, we did not write that copy. That's, <laughs> no. a, that's a media yeah, release. Yeah, that is a media release. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I should yeah, have specified yeah. that. <laughs> Just so you don't think I'm getting a bit fruity uh, with my language there, Pete. <laughs> No, well, th- this is this is an interesting one because uh, what does it indicate, Matt? Is is VB hanging on? To, does VB realise you know what we can't modernise the brand, we can't compete with say the original uh, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale, or you know the or IPAs or hazies or whatever? We can't. We we we've tried to roll VB in glitter, so to speak. Well, yeah, and- polishing. <laughs> We've been polishing and polishing and polishing. <laughs> We've been polishing this turd for a long while now. But even just me going through my uh, my collection, you know, I found um, probably four four different – remember, you know, the VB Pale? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the, yeah. Um, the, they had the VB Eric Gold, brand. which was designed to contact, you know, um, the, the mid-strength version – they had VB Raw. Do you remember the old VB Raw? VB Raw, yeah, <laughs> yeah. which was all organic um, ingredients kind of thing, was oh, it? Or it was okay. supposed to be, that was like the Steinlager Pure or the... Um, uh, Matt, I can't uh, even remember now. That's the thing I, I remember. So many iterations. It. Or Cascade Pure. Yeah. But look, there, I, I there mean, was a while there where everything was pure. The, the thing that stuck out for me was that, yeah, like it. on one hand, Volley is just a genius pairing. Like it's not... If, if you're looking for a shoe brand that is... The equivalent of VB, um, <laughs> it, it 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 is kind of volley because you know like volley was before you know when Reeboks were just first starting and I, I know you know in a usual advance old men reminiscing, um, but you know when Reebok and Nike were first starting to get their traction um, in the eighties. Uh, Adidas wasn't a cool brand in those days. It had gone past its cool stage. Um, but then you had Converse, and which were very expensive, and Dunlop Volleys at about nineteen dollars from Target were the you know they, they were hipster before hipster was a thing. They were the footwear version of the Model T Ford. Uh, yeah, but they were they were <laughs> just they like didn't have, they didn't have brand extensions. You can have any colour you want as long as they're that kind of beige. <laughs> oh white. no, well they had green no, and blue. Like the only decision you had was whether you wanted the blue trim or the green trim. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that was a thing, and and so they were so, but they were so uncool that they became cool kind of thing, and so you'd wear them instead of deck shoes or you know that sort of thing. So it it, it and it's interesting that you know as you know if, if you if you're wrong long enough, you become right. Yeah. Um, suddenly volleys have been rediscovered by um, I think who were the celebrities, the Hemsworths, and yeah, people that have people. been photographed on Insta wearing their volleys because they weren't like because they're the contrarian brand. And 
you know, Michael Arant on uh, Facebook summed it up beautifully, which is, that was the thing that I'd noted. But he said, as someone who recently worked for ABICUB, these old school brands are what they uh, in-house call being managed. That means they realise that they're in decline and nothing can stop it. They're just hopeful of keeping the decline as slow as possible. <laughs> and that's what I thought, because the, the first thing that leapt out at me was, you know, VB was the unassailable brand 10 years ago, Pete. You know, when Bru- in the early days of Bruce News, we'd get the annual releases where they would trumpet that VB is still the nation's biggest brand, one in four one beers. One in four. Um, yeah. consumed a in Australia. Of all beer drunk was was AVB. Was a, a, a VB, and then you know, like gradually, it started to decline because they reduced the alcohol and they made a whole lot of mistakes. And you know, I refer to our um great uh, podcast with Mick, our, lab, our label expert, Pete, our advertising. Oh, my, uh, Mick Brandenburg. Uh, Mick, Mick, Mick Brandenburg. <laughs> sorry, th- 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 sorry. Yeah, I was thinking Mick Jontef because I was no, thinking. No. Every time we mention a, a CUB, <laughs> yeah, we go, oh, Mick Jontiff uh, wrote the recipe for that. No, you know, and, uh, and, and yeah, so and we've had talked about the, the brand, but as it declined, it became, you know, um, we're the biggest by value. And, you know, Lion was saying Forex is the biggest by volume because it was a cheaper oh, brand and stuff God. like that. And now they don't, it, it's declined that much. And Great Northern is the number one brand, or no, yeah, Great Northern yep. is the number yep. one brand in in the country, so it's been beaten by itself. Um, and yep. VB is just, as um, Michael Arant uh, points out, you know, it's in decline, and they're just trying to, you know, put a parachute on it, you know, as big a parachute <laughs> as they can. Capitalise on whatever they can about it. Because I reckon they've seen the success of stuff like, I know I always mention it, Rushes. Yeah. <laughs> but that that kind of like hipster thing that's just come back around because of nostalgia, because of people's beliefs about it. And then the shoe, which was really interesting. And I had a classic Claire moment. I was like, what the hell's a volley? Well, yeah, did, I, I <laughs> and Matt got really excited about it. And I was like, what are you talking about? What's a volley? Because <laughs> I thought it was such an interesting, and it was because, you know. But, they, but, they, but they're also high top volley. So it's even mm, volleys kind of going, we need to. They are going Chuck yeah. Taylor, the old, you know. Yeah, yeah. And my nan used to call them bumper boots, and she said that the poor kids used to have them <laughs> when she was a kid. <laughs> your mum was, your grandma was a snob, was she? Yes, yeah, she's still okay. snob. <laughs> um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, and, and it's like, so it's interesting that, you know, Resh's, which was a brand that was functionally dead until consumers resurrected it and starting, it, it, it's almost like they're trying to jumpstart that process yeah. um, with some of these pairings. Um because there was a Melbourne Bitter has also launched a uh, a brand with a clothing it's a clothing thing I think called Simple or something like Sample Simple, simple. no it's Simple like, because it simple? it's it's a clothing like they sell white t shirts that don't have a brand on it so it's yeah. w- w- which again is that classic um, um, contrarian thing you know whereas all of the cool brands emblazon the brand on the on the t shirt or whatever just. So you can sign that you're allied with that brand. Um, this clothing line doesn't put its own brand on because it's you know. So you buy a white t-shirt, mm. you spend a fortune for because it doesn't have a brand on. Oh um, God. But then they're doing partnerships with a whole lot of retro cool um, brands that they're licensing to put on on their shirts as well. And Melbourne Bitter is one of those brands that it's. So CUB seems to have admitted these traditional mainstream brands are in decline but if we can you know get out the shock paddles um of coolness um you know retro cool before it's time we might be able to slow the descent yeah there we go um watch this space and um yeah well done matt too for um getting through that whole thing without referring to runners or sneakers as kicks isn't that what all the cool kids call them now they did 
All of the in there, what they in there, pumped up kicks. <laughs> Matt, <I'm>, uh, <laughs> oh, now that Matt knows the song, I'm like, no. <laughs> Sorry, well, it, Matt. It's about 12 years old, isn't it? So, yeah, like, it's, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm not sure about the kicks thing anymore. Can't I, I couldn't give you a pop reference for anything since Tay Tay's 1989 album. Oh, god, but let's shake that off, hey. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> Oh, I'll get He's just anyway. up. You've, you've amused yourself, haven't you? Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. If, if I wasn't wearing yeah, a headset, I think we should. If I wasn't wearing a headset mic, I would have dropped it. <laughs> Kegstar launches IoT keg tracking. Uh, smart stainless steel keg rental company Kegstar is about to launch its new IoT-enabled keg tracking with the rollout of Project Starlight. Uh, the Kickstarter team has spent several years developing this potentially game-changing tracking technology, which will not only provide exact real-time location of every keg, but also gives detailed information of what's inside it. Uh, IoT, for all the cool kids out there. Internet, Internet of, of things. things. Yep. What does that mean? It just means everything's connected, It means your connected, fridge is connected basically. to the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, your, and your toaster and your kettle. So it's a smart keg. It's a smart yeah. keg, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so does it does it automatically reorder when it gets to you know like a third full? I don't think we it's haven't got looked that at. It. I know that uh, there is a company that is looking at doing that, um, but it, it certainly it, it tracks kegs. I think it tracks its temperature, which is something that we've looked at. You know, you know for example, we looked at um, Lockie uh, from Ballistic. Lockie Crothers um, was actually sending when he was sending pallets of beer across to WA. He put a USB thermometer in with the. Um, yeah. With, with the pallet, so you could track the temperature, um, and then the client, the, the the customer, would post it back, and he could download and see what the temperature variations was and everything like that's that. And really I think, um, the, the yeah, so so that's the sort of smart technology that's going to be built into these, so brewers can you know see where their kegs are, they can track them, they can sort of work out how quickly they're moving through the venue, and there'll be some really interesting um, data. And <laughs> so, um, Pete, you might want to read the next story as well because it's sort of sort of um, related. <laughs> I thought it was the same one. I thought we'd posted <laughs> and Claire's finger had stuck on the key. Uh, and just before we do, um, quick uh, congratulations too to Lockie Crothers who received a nomination for the uh, Young Gun of the Year at the Indies last week, Matt. Oh, awesome. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Well, well deserved. And, and to all the others as well. I won't mention them all individually because I can't remember them all and I'll forget one. Convoy launches world first tracking technology. Last week at Sigfox Connect 2020, the largest IoT showroom, uh, that's Internet of Things, kids, uh, Convoy Group, an Australian keg rental solution provider for the beverage industry, announced a world first with the deployment of their keg tracking and monitoring IoT solution across their 70,000 strong fleet of kegs in Australia and New Zealand. Yes, yeah, so these <laughs> Didn't came we just talk about two that? days of The more things change, the more two. they stay the same. <laughs> <laughs> look, and, 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 and can, can I say, look, apropos of our first story, this is competition, um, you know. Like you, you've this got, is how it works. This is how it works in, in you've reality. Got yeah. Two business, and we're, and we're good friends with both uh, you know, both businesses. Um, Convoy announced Kickstar had been working on something similar. They, uh, you know, then announced, and you know, both of these companies are trying to make, you know, are making each other better and stronger because they're competing. Um, you know, and that's. You know, it, it, it's not, um, you know, one saying, oh, look, you know, if you use our kegs, we'll pay you not to use the other kegs um, or, you know, we'll lock you into a, uh, you know, it's it's competition and uh, this is how it should work. And so congratulations to both companies and uh, look <laughs> forward to learning more about exactly what these smart kegs can do. And it's great for the brewers who, and, and Matt, again, we've spoken about this a lot of, 
a lot uh, over the years, uh, things like canning machines. You know, they were out of reach. They were, it was something that, you know, brewers would have loved and obviously do. It, it's proven to be correct that they love putting their beer into cans because people love having beer in cans. But uh, they take up, you know, half a mile of footprint and they're expensive and you know, and now all of a sudden, now you can fit them on a bench top. Everyone's got, and now there's, you know, competition in that space. It was the same thing with, you know, well, you had to outlay a heap of cash to buy your own kegs and then you had to track them yourselves and you had to paint your name on the side and hope they didn't end up on, um, you know, the Australian Barbecue Alliance Facebook website, you know, being cut into a smoker. Mm-hmm. Um and and they got dinted or they got lost or you ended up with somebody else's and they ended up with yours. Um, it's great that, the technology has developed now that um, brewers have got uh, are being spoiled for choice in terms of uh, how they get their beer out to market. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and next story, Three Ravens boosts their green credentials with funding. Melbourne's Three Ravens has undertaken major sustainability projects to improve its green credentials after funding enabled by its local council. Uh, the Thornbury Brewery is thought to be the first to have taken up the environmental upgrade finance in Darabin with funding provided through the Sustainable Australia Fund. Um Nathan Liaskos, who's the uh, Three Ravens general manager, said sustainability has always been a value of ours, but being able to finance it or have the resources to implement it was definitely a barrier for us. As the business has grown, we're in a better position to make these decisions and have the resources to implement them. So that's good. And hopefully um, uh, other councils will be able to aid some of the other brewers as well. And again, like this was a cool story that we, we got through. and It was less about the brewery than the program to... You know, allow businesses to to become greener. You know, we get a lot of green is one of the things that breweries are, are wanting to do, but it was the way that they were able to get it access to the money, and then they pay it back gradually through their their, yep. their rates. Yep. Was the um yeah through their rates, and it comes at competitive rates. And um, Nathan was saying that from day one, it's effectively cash flow positive so everything's working out nicely from the beginning um and as matt says it's just a really interesting project so there's links to both of the um the sustainable australia fund and the um mechanism through which uh, the funding happens um in that story and we'll probably put that in the show notes um so if anyone wants to have a look then give it a go because you know a- apart from helping in terms of credentials he saves like 21 grand a year on um, energy costs mm. so that's a it's not a huge amount but it's a nice amount for especially a smaller brewery i'd take um, it yeah absolutely better than a kick in the face isn't it um so well, yeah if, if it means you know extra hours that your tap room can be open so mm-hmm. more people can engage therefore um you know more people come in you sell more beer and you're providing more hours for your workers um it doesn't have to be a big thing just to sort of even if it's just one of those things where you know as a general manager of the business you go that's one less thing. Like that's just that's um, a, a chunk of cash that uh, we don't need to find from somewhere else, or yeah. you know, it just, it, I, I just think it, I like the way that it can free you up, kind of uh, mentally to uh, you know address other issues. Definitely. Well done, yeah. Three Ravens. Yeah. Uh, now the next one's an interesting one. Our last story. Mainstream audiences have no clue about beer styles, <laughs> says, <laughs> says ABAC. During an industry-focused webinar yesterday, the ABAC chief adjudicator addressed issues relating to beer styles, which have caused brewers across Australia to face the panel. According to some focus group research undertaken on 14 to 17-year-olds, the watchdog found that they could not identify styles such as sour, stout or IPA as beer. Chief Adjudicator Michael Lavash said, it gave us some comfort the decisions made through ABAC scheme are pretty close to the mark. 
Yeah, so that's interesting because obviously the whole thing, and they mentioned um, Dainton's Bounty Hunter by specifically by name as an example of this. It says stout on it and it says the ABV on it, but that was ruled as a breach because there's loads of indicators that it's like cartoony, there's like the bounty bar, all that kind of stuff. Um, the, these indicators basically say, look, this could be potentially appealing to minors. Um, and... The response a lot of the time is, um, and I can't remember specifically if Dainton said it, but they were like, it's obviously a beer. It's called a stout on the front of it. It's called an IPA. It's called X, Y, and Z. Um, so everybody should know that that's a beer style. Mm. When in actual fact, not that many people do. And I'm definitely not minors. Like, you know, it, yeah. like if stout, they don't know stout, then that says a lot. And it was like it, yeah. I, we have to follow up with ABAC about whether people can s- still view that webinar because it was... Mm. Really good, yeah. um, really high level um, discussion uh, about it. A lot of people attended, um, and it, it was interesting. They did two votes, um, yeah. but they, they showed two <laughs> examples, and everyone got to vote on whether or not um, they thought it would be a breach. It, it was yeah. a breach, and one of them was a photo of a, I think, a beer bottle or something, and it just has said, uh, "For when you." See your girlfriend's profile on Tinder. Oh, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Which, which, and and it was about ninety seven percent. So I said, yeah, that's because it was about the mood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to sort of salve your mood. Yeah. The second one was uh, a bottle of vodka, and it was kind of like um, there are nights out, and then there are nights out. Yeah. And I think it was about you know fifty four to forty six. Oh, it was a tight um, one. That about whether it was um, problematic, and you know it, that that was a thing. Like I sort of thought, oh, look, you know, it's a little, little bit touch and go. Yeah. Um, and I sort of uh, was almost going to err and sort of say, no, it's not a breach. But then I sort of thought, well, actually, if it's that close, then I'm going to vote breach because yeah. if you're close to the line, you need to stop well short of the line was, was my takeaway from that. But uh, anyway, um, really, really useful um, discussion. Link in the show notes? There will be. There will be, yeah. I'll tell you what, we're heading up to our 300, we're putting pressure on ourselves now. We're, we're kind of, are we peaking too early? We're peaking in the, you know, the early... The end of the season games oh. and the early finals, and when it comes to the grand final, our big three hundreds at the yeah, end of the year. Although we did fall off the wait um, as a shit Carter's hat. We, we, we did fall off the wagon, or not fall off the wagon. <laughs> we sort of let let the team down this week without having a BIAC beer is a conversation. Um, only between the combination of uh, interviews I'd scheduled in person having to be cancelled last week because of uh, my lockdown and then other sort of uh, things just not falling into place. Um, so I do apologise for our loyal listeners who may have woken up, you know, like on Christmas morning and found there was nothing <laughs> under the tree for them. Uh, that's okay, that's Matt. We, um, we, we, we still love and respect you and we would not, you know, um, label you a failure. But if we were to label you, Matt, I would be speaking to Rowling's label stickers and packaging <laughs> to get a suitable shrink wrap label to put over your head. If uh, well, no, no, not not that. But you know, over a can, Rowling's label stickers and packaging. You don't know if you're aware of this, Claire and Matt, but they're not able to just supply labels for your cans or bottles. But they can also supply printed or blank cartons. They can supply can trays. They can supply tap decals. They can supply barcodes, shrink sleeves. Um, and they're already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. Um, the guys often get asked and they say to us, hey, we, we often get asked, where would a brewery buy a shrink sleeving machine to apply the sleeves to the cans? I haven't got space. Where, where, where on earth am I going to put it? Well, it doesn't matter because the cans come to your door palletized and ready to fill. Nothing more to do. Did you hear that? Oof. Nothing more to do except give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further. Seamless. Beautiful. Just like their shrink wrap labels. <laughs> uh, mailbag. 
don't forget uh, all the letter writers, commenters, uh, smoke signal senders. Um, you can write on the back of a coaster and, and sort of throw it towards the Bruce News offices. Any way you want to get in touch with us. You can abuse it at me at the bar. Yeah, that's right. Matt. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, there's, there's technically not a comment, was it? Um, directed at you this week, Matt, which hasn't made the, uh, uh, the mailbag. But um, did somebody sign up? Uh, join the Facebook group and in answer to the question, um, where did you hear about the password? Said Matt told me, Matt Kierkegaard told me when he was drunk. <laughs> oh, no, okay, I didn't see that. Well, I, I didn't take that because it's, it's, it's not actually true. It was just somebody yeah, making something up. Yeah. Because as we know, um, we practice uh, what we preach here and cons- responsible alcohol consumption. You are consumption. very responsible, yes. Oh, no, no, of course. But yeah, I just I, I did think that was quite interesting. <laughs> the way, yeah, people don't take it too seriously, which is good. Like it's beer, drink it responsibly, but don't take it too seriously. But um, we take it so uh, seriously that um, if you are a correspondent, you will get a bottle of Hop Valley H two O, which is hopped water. Which uh, again, we had our um, hop water turn up this week, so th- this is not a paid ad. Just a big fan. Yeah, and, and well, who makes it? Um, well, heads of Noosa. So I, I did have somebody uh, contact me about it and they tried it and they thought it was awesome and were wondering where I could get it from. And I would not actually asked where you can get it from because <laughs> it's not a paid ad. So I'm, I'm still waiting for a reply from the guys because uh, I don't know if it's online or if it's in bottle shops or whatever, but um, because they sent it to, to us directly so we could pass it on to you. So it's hopped, hopped uh, carbonated water and it's called? Hop Valley H2O. Hop Valley H2O. There you go. Look out for it. Uh, all letter writers will receive a Deblue Bakes cookie and go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack, thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, who sponsor our Letter of the Week. And we should point out, too, that um, Deblue, a lot of people have probably seen them, but if a brewery hasn't, um, Deblue has a magnificent little uh, access to a magnificent little, uh, like a, you know, edible icing printer. So she can print all sorts of um, things. And if you if you've seen... Do we have a picture maybe that we could put on our... Yeah, yeah, actually, no, we'll, we'll do that. Link? And uh, some of yeah. our recipients um, in, encourage you to sort of post um, your, your photo. Again, um, not a paid plug. Um, in fact, I bought the cookies um, that with our brands on, but they're just awesome. Um, and yeah. Yeah, Deb's uh, a stalwart of the Melbourne beer community, and uh, it's just a good way to support her. Yeah, exactly. We haven't so, got many left, have we? Help a friend. Look her out. Look out for her. Oh, we need to reorder. Oh, get in early before do, Christmas, yeah. Matt. I better. You know, well, I, think got, I think we've like got it. because oh. Matt and I occasionally have a little pick. Oh. <laughs> I can hear the rapper next. He's Stop. rustling. <laughs> you guys are hopeless. I know it can't. You're, not, you're not even They're hiding. Really you're not even hiding your feet right now. Anyway, uh, don't forget, review us on iTunes. Um, send us in an email to be in the draw for the letter of the week. You can also do it on our Facebook group, as many have. Just search Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. Uh, Claire, Daniel Massey. From the Facebook group has got in touch with us. Yes, he has. And this was an interesting one. So we'll put the link um, in the show notes as well, I assume. This one was it's kind of referring back to our first story about tab contracts. Um, and the story was about the ACCC getting involved in a bit of an ice cream battle, effectively, between streets and Peters, I believe. There's two, the two big the ones. Two big Basically owned by Unilever and Nestle. So very much in the same vein as Line CB, owned by big multinational type companies um and it was a basically about um you know how they were trying to block each other out of um 
Con- the competition with logistics um so daniel says some similarities between this and tap contracts be interested to see how it plays out one bit that is very similar um in that it says the law they are accused of breaking is called exclusive dealing which is a way of reducing competition in a free market economy competition is the big thing stopping big companies from absolutely screwing us on price and quality that is why the ACCC's role in protecting competition is so important and absolutely i agree with that i don't know about you guys but that if that's a very parallel, not exactly the same in terms of like how they're um, executing that restrictive yes, um, covenant and effectively. But fun, well, funnily enough, um, our competition expert who's commented on our um, Lion mm-hmm. um, article made the point that the laws have changed since 2017. Um, and he said that the ACCC has been looking for the right case um, mm-hmm. because, again, the, the ACCC doesn't prosecute every breach. They look for the, the best examples that they can then use to, you know, exemplars across the industry. Mm-hmm. So uh, this sounds like it might have been one of those cases. Yes. Um, and it's, 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 it's fraught because it's it gets more and more difficult. I mean, we're on the inside looking out and and, and have the advantage of vision. Um, but to the average punter, um, you walk into an Uncle Dan's or you walk into you know you see an ad or whatever, and you all these different beers, and you go, oh yeah, I like that one because they're a small independent. I remember them, you know, being around the corner when I used to have a uh, you know share house in Richmond or whatever, not knowing that the that brewery has since been bought out. And it's probably it's the same thing with. Um, all your food products, you go, oh, I've been eating this since I was a kid and it's a small Australian company and then you look at the fine print on the label or, or you hear from someone else, oh, no, it's actually, you know, owned by a big multinational now. So, yeah, Matt, I've just been, I'm about halfway through uh, your very fine work with uh, Ruth Leary on uh, the um, Fermentus webinar on seltzers. Well, yeah, I had had a The rise and rise of. Yeah, and it was just, um, like, everyone knows, like, a, if you drink seltzers and you enjoy them, go for it, champ. You know, it's uh, it's one of those one of those things. Um, my only issue is in in an industry, the craft industry, that build itself as being malt, wort, hops, and yeast, and the art of craft of brewing. If craft brewers then make a product that requires yeast nutrient and activated carbon to remove the off flavours um, and, you know, food colourings um, and, you know, to, to, to try and make it look clear and all the things that a seltzer's meant to be, that really narrows the gap between what craft brewers sought to market themselves as being different to big multi-layered beverage companies and the multi-layered beverage companies. You know, what, what is the difference? What is your unique selling proposition? And are you then playing into them and giving, so saying, well, the craft of brewing doesn't matter um, because if the craft of brewing doesn't matter, what... Just, what does matter? Well, what? How, how does a small? <laughs> what does it all mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well how, how does a small local brewery um, justify the extra thirty dollar a carton price for their product? Because as we've talked about, you know, well, what does independence mean? Do consumers taste independence? Local, um, they identify with, but big guys can be local too. But it's it's that idea of that we aren't mad alchemist, food scientist people. You know, we do the craft and uh yeah so anyway so, so that's just what that little contribution was and then they went on to talk about all of the things that you need to do to uh make um salsa i was a little bit surprised you know because i sort of thought 
Thanks for coming on and shit canning the product that we're trying to promote here, Matt. <laughs> well, well, you, not, you weren't that bad, were you? Well, yeah, like I, I, I wasn't. That's the thing. I don't think I was um, having a go at the product, mm-hmm. but I was saying that if you are, you know, awesome, consumers love them, they're big, but ask yourself what it does to your core. If it's not going to be your core business, is it going to send the wrong signal about your core craft business if you're making something that under no definition, you know, there's no such thing as a craft seltzer? Mm-hmm. As Jeff Goldblum says in Jurassic Park, um, they They were were too too worried about whether they could (laughs) rather than whether they should. should. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, the whole point in that was that Steve... There's a meme. There's got to be a meme. James (laughs) Davidson, shout out to you. You know, Jeff Goldblum, when he tips the... he could he could drop um, seltzer onto the back of his hand. And, yeah. <laughs> which 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 way is it? Is it <laughs> yes. And then they oh, all get eaten by T Rex. Um, Claire. <laughs> yes. Steve so Hudkin in the Facebook group. That's the one. So the the whole point of that charade was that Steve on the Facebook group said that I predict uh, people will try a few brands looking for one with some actual flavour. Then when they don't, they'll give up. Four to five of the twenty brands will survive for a year or two, but give it three years and it will be mostly forgotten. Thoughts. Much like Brute IPA or oh. Pilsner. Or well, we'll see. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's bigger than Brute IPA. Or dare IPA. I say Amber Ale. <laughs> Pilsners. Well, I've always said that about seltzers, but I'm quite often wrong, so. Well, look, every brewery created a cider when all of a sudden we could make cider fairly easily and people and people wanted it. So, particularly if you have a tap room or, or some sort of, you know, consumer facing experience where people come in, you go, Oh yeah, my, my friend's here. Um, he's gluten intolerant or whatever. Oh, well we drink cider. Well, actually we've got a cider now. So um, is seltzer now that next step and whether it lasts or not really is, you know, make hay while the sun shines. Yeah. If, you, if you can get some cash out of it now without, and it's not going to, uh, cannibalize your your beer mm-hmm. um, output, your beer volumes and revenue. Then you know maybe it's maybe we just we we just got to put up with it. Yeah, roll with it. Like pastry stouts, <laughs> milkshake. I refuse. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what's your week hold for you guys? Oh, you're out and about tomorrow, aren't you, Matt? Um, ah, ah, flitting again. Well, recording a beer is a conversation. Yeah, the one that I was working. meant to record last week. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Not just messing about. Can mm. you tease it? Can, or can you tell us who to look forward to? Oh, mate, well, it, 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 if I say... Uh, it well, might, stay tuned. It, it, Watch this it, it might appear on another podcast. Uh, <laughs> so. Yes, fair point. Well, it's not. <laughs> Funnily enough. Now, what do, do uh, listeners, do uh, watch out for James Atkinson uh, Drink Adventure podcast. Uh, excellent podcast. And James was a finalist in the Australian Podcast Awards as well. Um, as this week, he speaks to Peter Lawler. <laughs> Uh, never heard of me. <laughs> one of it was one of those things like neither That's of us knew. So interesting. We both had the idea because I've been wanting to speak to Peter for for some time um, because uh, he has arguably the biggest beer platform um, in the country with a large national mainstream uh, you know, newspaper. Um, and so I was long interested in it and uh, had been trying to tee up some time with Peter. And then he reached out to me because his hot, uh, top 20 was coming up. Um, and we haven't actually talked about the top 20. We might. Uh, there's been a bit of discussion in the... Um, we have, haven't we? I thought we mentioned it. Beforehand, not after. Oh, okay. 
Um, and funnily enough, he'd also reached out to James Atkinson, not telling uh, James that he'd reached out, that he'd recorded a podcast with us as well. So, um, yeah, James, and, and because we went first with it, um, it it's going to look like James was uh, following us, and he absolutely wasn't. <laughs> Coincidental. So anyway, you guys have a good week. Also, to all of our listeners, have a good week. We're coming into, it's just about time to buy Christmas trees now. I hope the scouts mm. are out this weekend. Do You you can't uh, get Christmas trees down there, can you? Do you get a real one, Pete? You get a real one? Yeah, every year. What? Think of oh, all I'm of, so jealous. Think of all the CO2 that that tree could have taken out of the... Oh, God. Think of all the carbon that it's captured. <laughs> and think of all the um, the goodness. Yeah, um, the positivity. The strawberries that I'm going to grow with the compost made from... Uh, the pine needles that I painstakingly <laughs> I leave it I don't just throw it in the rubbish it's closed loop it <laughs> I do I put it out the back and I've I let it dry out it I turn point. it I turn it so that it dries evenly oh, and yeah. then when the um, the needles can come off easily I put it over the compost bin and I shake it and um, all the yeah there you go you shake it oh. off to your feet oh no not twice in one podcast two tay-tays in one oh. in one ep it's the only anyway. one he knows we on that note, they're probably <laughs> dreading to be associated with that uh, terrible line. But uh, Cryo Malt, Rellings, Label Stickers and Packaging and Beer Cartel, thank you very much for all of the uh, all that you do for us and making all of this possible. We are drawing now. Do we need to quickly talk about uh, the 22th? Yeah, yes. Um, so looking at uh, now that the borders are open, um, Anastasia is letting Pete in. So we're looking at getting Pete up um, for the day specifically. Oh, yeah, anyway, specifically. I've already I've, I've spoken to my friends at Stone and Wood, and I had uh, we've got a specially hollowed out keg that I was going to curl myself up into, and they were just going to bring me just over with a uh, with a load of delicious original Pacific ale. Um, yeah, so uh, be gone by the time it gets to Brisbane. Now, now we did have a suggestion in in the Facebook group that. Listeners may want to host parties um, nationally. Now, oh. uh, again, love the idea, and if people want to organise it, we'll certainly incorporate that into our coverage. We'll endorse it. Yeah. But I, yeah, don't, I don't think we're up for a national tour just it, yet. It, 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 it'll be sanctioned. It's, it's just, it, it's just not how we roll at Bruce News. We're not organised. <laughs> well, uh, there's that, and I just can't imagine that anyone would want to like. Uh, we just don't have the vanity to think that <laughs> that if we say it, and I would be terribly disappointed. You know, as oh, I joked, be well a telephone. You know, it's a telephone booth gang that we. But anyway, um, <laughs> if 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 people want to do it, we'll certainly um, do live crosses and uh, sort of touch base with you. Because if Pete's here, um, as he said at the start of the program, it will give us a couple of channels that we can either zoom in or take telephone uh, calls and um, and and link and you know. We, we love the idea of it. It's just not something that we would put together ourselves. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it would be a, like it would be a huge thrill if um, groups of listeners and use the Facebook group to, if you want to, sort of organise yourselves to to meet somewhere and uh, be part of a live thing. Yeah. So, so our listeners could get get together in groups, go to a a, a pub or a brewery, preferably an independent one that's local to mm-hmm. them all, flip open the the laptop, listen in, and then type uh, questions to us or, you know, perhaps even we could, we could do some live crosses. And if any of our many the grounds. brew pub venue listeners um, are listening and you want to offer, um, and you know, look, I'll even kick in some of our you know, very limited dollars to, you know, buy a couple of rounds uh, of drinks. Um, and you know, ab- absolutely all for it, but it's just not something that we would, you know, think Just that no, we'll, we'll promote it and we'll certainly we'll promote yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Activate, cool. energise our, uh, our rather large fan base. And, as, <laughs> as, as I like to Facebook say, group. Pete, um, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> uh, Bruce News, uh, you know, you, you, it's okay to admit you just read it for the articles. Um, so, like, <laughs> you, you know, the, no, no fanfare around it. It, it's it's just about the articles and the news. But if if um, our listeners want to do more, then uh, we're certainly up for it. Go for it. Knock yourselves out. Best of British luck to you. Uh, thanks very much, Matt. Thank you, Pete. Thanks very much, Claire. Thanks, Pete. And thank you very much to you, the listeners. Um, this has been Bruce News Week, another episode of. Be interesting to see what we call this one. And uh, as we always say, drink fresh, drink local, look after yourselves and each other. And wash your damn hands. And keep washing your hands. That's right. And keep those borders open. And we're out. Boom. Oh, that was a nice one. Is that that one? Better depth. Practiced it. Practiced it in the mirror. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. Producer.